This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello and welcome to the future of finance, the podcast where we live and breathe financial technology. We receive Paul Walker, former co-head of technology at Goldman Sachs. Paul advises companies and investors in artificial intelligence. It was thus only natural we would look at the transformative opportunities that AI offers. To lead this interview, I am joined in New York City by John Bradford, founding partner at Motive Partners. Good. How are you? Not too bad. Who do, who do you have today? I have absolute honor of someone I've admired from a distance for quite a long time. Oh, Paul, Hello. would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Paul Walker. I'm a senior advisor and member of the Global Advisory Council here at Motive. I'm also an investor and advisor in a collection of other fintech and AI companies. 20-year career in finance, uh, which culminated at Goldman Sachs, where I was running their technology division. Before that, I did a PhD in theoretical physics doing numerical modeling of the gravitational wave phenomena you see when black holes collide. You had me at PhD. I didn't understand the, the, the rest of that line. Well, you know, black holes spin around, fall into each other, and you get a big black hole and you get gravitational radiation. There was a Actually, Nobel Prize this year was in that field, although I didn't win the I'm, Nobel Prize. I'm scared to ask the question of how does that and Goldman's align itself, or is that something we want to take off the record? <laughs> how, how does that and finance align may be a less provocative question, <laughs> um, but I'm happy to answer that question. I think a lot of the math and a lot of the computing that was required to do at the time the you know fastest supercomputing code in the world to solve the gravitational and spiral problem, or one of the fastest, maybe one of the top three fastest, is very similar to the type of math and computing we had to do to risk manage a massive and exciting and interesting bank. And so I was able to transfer quite a lot of my computing and math skills and frankly modeling skills. I think the skills a physicist gets is the ability to think of a simple model for how the world works and then think about where its limits are and where it works and where it doesn't and apply that to the analysis they do in other contexts. And that's helped me in finance and computing and investing in, in business strategy and even in helping people decide what to do with their companies. Yeah, I, I think people massively underestimate how much some of the best banks in the world have historically been technology businesses that have actually used finance as kind of their market yeah. uh, and particularly around capital markets. Yeah, and look, you know, I think um, if you take a look at some of the sort of pure play trading and market making shops now, I think are some of the best technology there is. But, you know, this idea that banks are actually technology companies makes me think, like, who isn't a technology company under that rubric? So technology is a cross-cutting concern. And I think if you don't use it effectively to run your business, you're probably misimplementing your business model. Uh, someone much wiser than me, Anderson Howitz, describes in the future, every business will be a software business. Yeah, you know, and you know, software will eat the world, right? I, there are all these memes. And we'll think about Amazon, for instance. Let's just take the sort of core Amazon business we think about, the you go and buy stuff and it shows up at your house two days later business. That's just a catalog business in some ways, but it's perfectly implemented. 
and it's perfectly implemented because of great technology and great logistics, right? And so the question to ask yourself isn't what does software mean for a bank? The question to ask yourself is we have 450 years of financial intermediation, trading, inventory management, risk management, and liquidity management in you know Western Europe, the United States, and the rest of the world. What happens to that business model when you apply technology correctly? Talk to me a little bit about AI. I mean, it's an overused word or meme at this point. Yeah. And generally thrown around with words like blockchain and fintech and various other different parameters. Right, exactly right. We'll take the AI fintech blockchain to the cloud. Um, uh, <laughs> that, that's the, a ten times multiplier on the valuation exactly immediately. Exactly right. You know, and it almost doesn't matter what you do. You've just added a, a lot of buzz to your company. Look, this always happens with new technology. Let's just talk about new technologies introduced anywhere. Right? You know, yep. I remember when the web was introduced. I was actually at NCSA when a Mosaic came out, and I was working on supercomputing and physics research. And I thought this web thing could be very useful for science. Maybe not have been my smartest uh, investment choice. <laughs> um, but the next thing I know, I'm at a bank and everyone's talking about how the web will change everything. And I said, okay, well, what does the web mean to you? And there wasn't exactly a coherent answer from everyone, right? And so I think when you're dealing with new technologies at all, it's very important to ask yourself the somewhat humbling question, do I actually understand what this is and what it does? Um, do I have a simple model of it? Uh, the cloud is least servers with good deployment management, right? Blockchain is, in a way, a correct shared database, mm -hmm. right? There's more to it than that. There's active yeah. contracts. There's the, But, you know, you can substitute correct shared database for blockchain in a lot of business plans. Yep. And so what do you substitute for AI and machine learning and deep learning? I think deep learning is something we'll stop saying soon, right? It'll be like B2B, right? No one says, <laughs> no one says B2B e-commerce anymore, right? Yeah. Um, when we say AI, what I actually think we mean is the collection of technologies and mathematical techniques that have allowed us to take a big chunk of data and from that data do a couple of things. Either predict what's going to happen next or cluster it to find patterns in it we didn't understand. There's a lot of other things in AI. There's this entire fascinating space of logic programming that's really interesting. There's a whole bunch of work on language translation or on playing games or on writing algorithms that allow us to, you know, solve one problem and then solve another problem without having to learn that other problem. Really, really interesting research points. But the block and tackle AI is, can I take a set of data and classify it, predict it, cluster it? And... The time I got interested in those fields was kind of when they started working, mm -hmm. right? You know, I wrote my first computer program when I was seven years old, right? Wow. And so you go watch Doctor Who and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I want a computer that's like the computers on Doctor Who. And then <laughs> you use a Timex Sinclair and you're like, how did Tom Baker get the good one and I got the crappy one, right? <laughs> um, the, uh, <laughs> So you don't have a scarf on. Not I, I don't have a scarf. I also don't have the hair and uh, <laughs> I, I don't have K9. And <laughs> But look, there was a long history of AI not quite working. And something happened about a decade ago where it sort of started working. The image classification problem fell, yeah. right? Um, you were able to do it. And you were able to do it because you had this mathematical technique of using multiple depth neural networks and this other thing called mm -hmm. convolution, which doesn't matter all that much. But a few mathematical techniques kind of made it work. Yep. So now all of a sudden you can detect faces or you can see if a picture is a car or you can do that, not perfectly, but actually better than humans in many cases. Yep. And that sort of made me start paying attention to what was actually going on in the space. And there have been a lot of really interesting technical advances. But the way to think about those technical advances are 
for data problems, we now have these three capabilities. We can classify, we can mm -hmm. cluster, we can predict in a way that we didn't have before. And also the nature of our programming has changed. It used to be we thought we would tell a computer, a computer program is do A, then do B, then do C. Yep. Now what it is, instead, we tell a computer program, we think the shape of the answer to this problem looks like this. Yep. We have this function with a million free variables. We don't know what any of those variables are, but we think that would solve this problem if we knew all those variables. And you say, okay. And then you write a second computer program that says, here's a set of data that's the answer. Can you go find those million free variables? The answer to that turns out to be yes, which is kind of cool, but a little counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. So now you get things like data management and training become really important. So what does this actually mean for finance? What this means for finance is all of a sudden your data discipline matters because if you lose a piece of data, you lose an opportunity to make a prediction, right? The reason AI worked so well for the Netflix, you like this movie, you like that movie problem, or the reason that AI worked so well for you've bought this, so you'll buy that at Amazon is because Netflix knew the movies everyone watched and Amazon knew the stuff everyone bought. And so it gives us this interesting capability with software and math that's now pretty well advanced to do something in finance if we start keeping all our data. And so one of the things that I'm very interested in when I look at financial organizations is how leaky are you on your data? Do you have every customer? That's one set of interesting things on AI. I think the other thing that makes AI interesting, though, in financial services is there's the overlay of regulation. And that overlay of regulation makes some of the problems harder. You know, customers who bought uh, Shakespeare in Love also bought The English Patient, whatever, right? Yeah. You know, there's a DVD recommendation. That's useful to me. Customers who bought a chainsaw also bought chainsaw oil. That's useful to me. Customers who bought IBM stock also bought Cisco stock. Sounds like I'm breaking an awful lot of customer confidentiality agreements, right? Mm -hmm. Sounds like I might be doing some things well above the edge of finance. And that's before we even get into things like, you know, loan approval or credit approval or customer suitability, where there's rules um, that are beyond the data. And those rules are beyond the data for a good and important social reason. And so layering that on top of AI, I think, is very interesting. But I think it's a capability that in financial services, we've used far, far less than we can. I'm going to jump into something you said a little way back, which I think is quite controversial, because you've actually said a lot of people describes the reason why AI is appearing is a function of data, more data being readily available. And actually, most of the basic techniques that have been used on AI were invented 30 or 40 years ago. But you actually touched on, actually, there's a whole bunch of changes in technology and how technology works that has actually moved AI forward. Do you want to touch on some of those? Technology and math, okay. both. First of all, computers are a lot faster. If it takes you 100 hours on 164 GPU machines that are each attached to a terabyte of local storage, and you go back 20 years that computer was more than the sum of computing power in the world. Mm -hmm. Remember, the Cray supercomputer I did my thesis on is my iPhone. And that's because I haven't bought a new iPhone yet. Right? <laughs> and so, you know, just the raw increase in compute power, the raw increase in data throughput power matters a lot. We should remember that many of the problems in AI went away when we just hit them on the head with a Morris Law hammer. The mathematical advances, though, are not to be overlooked. And I think for those of us who are spending more and more time at the edges of where the AI research community is, there's some really, really, really fascinating research going on in natural language processing. Natural language processing, I think, could be like the image recognition of a decade ago, fairly soon. In learning techniques around games and competition, uh, I think that are really important. 
in language translation. These are all fields that are, are fascinating. But also, and I was talking to a friend of mine who's a real AI expert the uh, the other day, uh, Car uh, Carson Kahn at Volley. He's uh, on the West Coast. And he and I were talking about how we haven't yet taken some very basic ideas about humans learn to the AI space. So, for instance, do you play any instruments? Badly. Which instruments do you play badly? All of them. All of them. Fine. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to assume that one of the instruments you play badly is guitar. That's a fair assumption. You ever play a ukulele? No. Okay. That could be very scary. But since you play guitar, if I handed you a ukulele and said, I don't know, can you learn a song on this in the next half hour? You could probably learn, you know, Wonderwall or yep. something. I should have used a better example. <laughs> Noel Gallagher is shaking in his boots exactly. at this point. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> my point is, there's some similarity in learning the guitar and learning the ukulele. In fact, you could almost say that you can transfer the learning from one experience to another. The edges of AI research are starting to think about AI that way. The edges of AI research are starting to think about how we construct software. There was a result, and I haven't fully read the result, just a few days ago, about an AI program that solves a particular problem the best. Mm -hmm. And instead of researchers configuring the network another way, you know, because a lot of these things are, you know, what's the network I use? What's the shape of my neural network? Where do I apply convolution? Where do I apply uh, recurrence? Instead of playing with another variant on that, the researchers wrote a program that wrote those programs and then asked that program to optimize itself. So software about software, we're going to start seeing a lot of that. All these things at the edges of AI, fascinating research, five years away, seven years away, three years away from affecting what we do. But that core idea that I can take my data, I can classify, cluster, and predict it, that's mainstream. You download some Python code, you get it up and running on your laptop in half an hour. If that's not part of your business model, you've probably made a mistake. But getting the program working isn't the hard part. The hard part is getting the program working and then getting the data about your business to it and then getting your business to change when you see that data. Oh, look, the computer says the client's going to buy this next, but let's call them up and sell them that instead because... I haven't changed my business practice and I don't look at the output of my AI program. So I think there's a lot we have to do in business process, data collection and data management that would allow us to use these things that seem like sci-fi, but now just kind of work. And that's, I think, going to be a very interesting transformation for the financial services industry. So I'm going to ask a question which is going to create a flood of emails into your inbox. So I apologize in advance for that. Well, so, except, except none of the people know my email on this podcast. So they'll, <laughs> I suspect there's probably a few smart people in the room that will figure out what that might be. The question is more driven by you're now an active uh, investor as well. Mm -hmm. Given everything that you just described, which parts of AI, machine learning in particular, fascinate you from an investment standpoint? I'm an active investor, and my active investment thesis has two versions of it. The first version is, take stuff we figured out five years ago so it works today and apply it to businesses that don't have it. I love that thesis. I'll do that all day long. We haven't yet applied sentiment analysis to this part of the market yet, and sentiment analysis works, so let's apply it to this part of the market. I, a lot of blockchain is like this as well, right? You know, let's use blockchain for X, Y, Z, right? Mm -hmm. My question for each of those business plans is, how are you going to change the business process and make people actually use your software? If you take a look at the adoption of CRM, or the first few attempts at CRM, it was very good technology. It had the database. It had the search. No one used because it didn't have an output that affected your business. It didn't have an output that affected your business because managers weren't looking at the reports. People weren't running their business based on their CRM. It didn't work on your mobile phone, so all the data was five years old because there wasn't mobile phone. So there was this technological with a mobile phone, but also business process, data-driven business process precondition for CRM working. And so in many ways, AI is like that in that 
the stuff that we had a few years ago, the equivalent of, look, I have a web page on my mobile phone. It's not exactly rocket science, but if I do it right, it can make my CRM system amazing. We have some of those things from a few years ago in the AI space. Look, I can do some basic clustering and predicting on this set of data. Can I use that to make my business process an order of magnitude more efficient? Those companies I love. Those companies I think are obvious investments. And I think we're going to see a set of startups that take AI technique X to business process Y, make a company, and then maybe there'll be a roll-up in the future, or maybe they'll just end up, you know, who knows where those individual companies will go as standalones, but they'll have some success. I like looking at those kind of things. The other thing I like looking at is sort of my deep punts on really crazy ideas out of the far edge of AI. And that's what will fill up my inbox with people giving me crazy <laughs> pitches. So don't send me your business plan if you think you're uh, crazy. It depends on a craziness scale. Well, do, you know, do you get to in a Spinal Tap world, 11 or 10? <laughs> exactly, right. You know, the, uh, I, I just have exploding drummers everywhere. There are some ideas that are big ideas. How does AI change the way we think about software development and software analysis? A space that I think is still pretty untapped. What actually happens when we have a good model for all of human language? And so we can start doing really interesting things on text analysis and knowledge analysis. Those are both places where I have advisory relationships with companies that are very interesting to me, but are not just, let's take this thing that works and apply it to this business process. Because really, the best plans are, I have a business process that's inefficient, I have a way to fix it, I apply. Mm -hmm. right? And so... Um, you know, those are some of the ways I think about investing in the space. I hate to cut it short now, but thank you, Paul. I think we've been left with a lot of content there to dig into on another occasion for another podcast. Thank you, Paul. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motor partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.